Good morning, Tapestry Church. Happy Mother's Day. Um, yeah, you're not saying that back to me because I'm not a mother, so it's fine. Um, so for those of you who are new, uh, my name is Sean. I am the high school pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning to share God's word with you. Uh, what, a, what a privilege. Um, and so I come uh, with trembling and fearful hearts, but also with, with glad heart to share God's word with you. Um, yeah, today's Mother's Day, and uh, it's awesome because often moms don't get enough credit for all the things that you do. So I'm speaking to you moms now. The caring, the feeding, the, the driving back and forth, the praying, the leading, speaking out of care repetitively. Some might call that nagging, but that's okay because it's actually, I, we know that you care and you, you say things out of love for your children. So thank you. And um, every sacrifice you make each day, it matters and it reflects the sacrifice that God has made for us. So we celebrate you today. You're amazing. You're powerful. You're awesome. Hope you're blessed today. We're in this series on worship. And as, as, as Pastor Al has introduced to us last Sunday, we'll be focusing on the four movements in worship. The four movements are gather, word, table, and send. And today I'll be sharing with you about the first movement of gathering. Why do we gather in worship? Have you ever asked that question? Why do you gather on Sunday morning to worship? Why do we gather here? Because the way we, we answer the question of why when we do something determines how we engage in that particular activity. For example, if the why of participating in a marathon is because this was one of the bucket list items to fulfill, how this person prepares and runs the marathon will be very different from the one who is running the marathon, the same marathon to have and to get the fastest record. If one works at a job because he or she is, she genuinely believes that the work is making a difference in someone's life or in the world, this person will go and engage in that very work differently than the one working at the same job, perhaps doing the same thing, simply to get a paycheck. The why will determine the how. So why do we gather to worship? The reason why I focus on this question is because, again, the why determines the how. For example, if one gathers because it's something that he or she has grown up doing, then how this person worships will be different from the one who gathers because this is where he or she may encounter God. If one gathers because it's where he or she could see their friends on a Sunday once a week to go for lunch afterwards, that person is going to engage in worship very differently than the person who comes and gathers for the sake of hearing God's voice. So, why do you gather this morning? Psalm 95 gives us three reasons why we gather in worship. They are, one, we gather because we are invited by God to worship. Two, we gather to praise and exalt God as his people. And three, we gather to hear God's voice. 
Don't worry if you didn't get that. I'm going to go through them in order more in detail. So today's passage is from Psalm 95. So let's read Psalm 95 together. If you have your Bibles with you, pull it out in front of you. If not, the words will be on the screen. I'm reading from the NIV. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. We gather... Because we're invited to worship God in relationship. We gather to worship as a response to God's invitation. In today's text, the psalmist opens with an invitation in the first verse saying, come. And in the second verse, the psalmist again calls the people to come before God with thanksgiving. The phrase, let us come before him, is literally in the Hebrew, let us approach his face. Let us be face-to-face with God. According to an Old Testament scholar, this has the notion that points to the initiative of the person who instigates that meeting, making the first move, which means that the call to come before God to gather in worship is a response to God's initiative of calling us to meet with Him. God is calling us, inviting us to be face-to-face with Him in worship. In other words, we approach God in worship in response to God making the first move. As such, our reason for gathering in worship is because God has invited us to worship. In her book, Constance Cherry writes, When we come together to worship, we do so in response to God's call. In the gathering, we acknowledge that God has invited us to meet with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. God takes the initiative to invite us to worship, and we respond with great joy. We sing for joy, we shout aloud with music, we clap our hands, and we make songs, we make joyful noise in response to God's invitation to come before Him. Not only are we invited to worship, but we're invited by the same God who is in relationship with us. We are invited by the God who has a relationship with his people. In the latter verses, it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. We come to worship God who has a relationship with us. And this God invites us to enter in to worship. A respected theologian, James Torrance, writes in his book, Christian worship is the gift of participating through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. 
Christian worship is the gift of participating through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. Torrance writes that worship is a gift to participate, meaning it is given to us to be received. In other words, worship, again, is an invitation. It's an invitation to participate in the relationship that Jesus has with his Father. In other words, worship doesn't begin when we gather. Rather, we gather because we are invited to participate in the ongoing eternal worship that is already existing in the heavenly realms in and to the triune God. To gather to worship because we know that we have been invited by God ought to lead us to respond joyfully. I mean, how could we not respond joyfully to an invitation made by the creator of the universe? After, after all, wouldn't we be overjoyed if we received a personal invitation to meet with someone we deeply admire and respect? Someone that we look up to? Someone that we could never imagine that we could actually meet face to face? Wouldn't we be so honored and overjoyed that we would shout in excitement? That we would jump for joy? Would we not do that? So then how is it that we take for granted every single Sunday that we're invited by the creator of the universe who loves us more than anyone else in this world to come and gather before him in worship? There's no room for boredom when we're invited by this God. How is it that we take it for granted that we're invited by our maker who cares deeply for us to meet with us? Let us respond joyfully then with a shout when we gather to worship because when we gather, we gather in response to God's invitation. When we sing and make joyful noises unto the Lord, it's a response to God's invitation. There is no room for boredom or disengaged worship if we're truly responding to God's invitation. Secondly, we gather in worship to praise and exalt God as his people. In verses 3 to 7, the psalmist gives reasons for why the worshipers must come and worship God. In verse 3, it says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. The one whom we are invited to gather to worship is the great God who is King above all gods. And also in verses 4 to 5, it says, In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The psalmist is saying that everything in this world belongs to God. The depths of the earth in the first line of verse 4 works together as a merism, meaning a combination of two contrasting words to refer to an entirety like day and night, like height and depth. So the depths of the earth in the first line of verse 4 works together with the mountain peaks in the second line to express that everything in between belongs to God, that everything in its entirety from even the unexplored depths of the earth to the highest mountain peaks on earth and everything in between belongs to God. 
The sea and the dry land also belong to him because he has made them. The one whom we gather to worship is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything in it belongs to him because he has made them. Everything, and, and since he has made them, he rules over them. He is sovereign over all of his creation, which means that nothing is outside of his control. This is why we gather to worship, to praise, and to exalt the great and awesome God who is king and creator of all things. All things, both seen and the unseen, both on earth and beyond. Everything belongs to this creator because he has created it. And this is the one whom we gather to worship. Furthermore, God is our maker and our shepherd. In verse 7, the psalmist writes, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God is not some deity that is impersonal and distant, but he is our maker. He has a relationship with his creation. He has a relationship with us. He is our shepherd, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock, under his care. This great and awesome God cares for us, his sheep. In gathering to worship this God, our God, we're reminded every Sunday how great and awesome he is. We're reminded of our relationship with him. He's the great God, the king above all gods, the creator who is our God, our shepherd, your God, your shepherd. He is the God who has a relationship with us, a covenantal relationship that cannot ever be broken. This great and awesome God is not far away, but is close and intimate with his people just as a shepherd is with his sheep. This is the God whom we gather to worship. And this reminder, I hope, leads us this morning and every Sunday to a deeper faith and trust in him. Not as those who doubt, but as those who see the greatness and the grandeur of who God is. And to be reminded that this God, your maker, deeply cares for you and loves you. And he knows you by name. Not only that, nothing in our life is outside of his control. Because the, the, mount, the, the highest mountain peaks and the deepest depths of the earth. They're all his and everything in between. Even the lowest points of our lives and even the highest points of our lives, all of it and everything in between belong to him because he is our maker. No depth, no height, nor width could separate us from the greatness of God or his great love for us. And this is what we're reminded of when we gather to worship, praising him and exalting him. Thirdly, we gather to hear God's voice. Psalm 95 moves from shouting to God with a joyful noise, with singing and, and, and music, to kneeling in worship in verse 6. Then starting in the last line of verse 7, the psalmist expresses a wish. Today, if only you would hear his voice. 
And then beginning in verse 8, the voice changes to God. It's now God speaking to his people. Have you noticed that? In verse 8, it's God now speaking. The psalmist was inviting the worshipers to come and to worship God from verses 1 to 7. And in verse 8, God now responds to speak to his people. This is what it says. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation, and I said, they are the people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. God is speaking to his people. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. God is saying that we ought not to harden our hearts like the Israelites at Meribah and Massa. So what happened at Meribah and Massa? Meribah and Massa are names of a location mentioned in Exodus 17. The Israelites were still in the wilderness and have camped at Rephidim. There was no water to drink, so they quarreled with Moses, saying, give us water to drink. They grumbled and complained against Moses, saying, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? This was after God has taken them out of Egypt, split the Red Sea in front of them, delivered them from the Egyptian army, provided them water to drink, and have provided them manna and quail to eat in the middle of the desert every single day. After all this, they still say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt only to die of thirst? Makes no sense, doesn't it? They, they grumble and they complain against God. Why? So Moses goes to God and asks him, asks God what he should do. God tells Moses that he will stand before Moses by the rock at Horeb. Moses is told to strike that rock with a staff and water will gush forth for the people to drink. After doing so, Moses called that very place where he struck the rock Meribah and Massa, meaning, Meribah meaning quarreling, angry argument because the people argued with Moses, and testing Massa because the Israelites tested God. In Exodus chapter 17, verse says, it says, The people of Israel tested God, saying, Is God among us or not? Even after all the things that God, have, God has done for them, taking them out of Egypt, delivering them, splitting the Red Sea in front of them, delivering them from the Egyptian army, giving them water, feeding them every single day, out of nowhere in the middle of the desert, they still say, Is God for us or not? Is God with us or not? So this is the background out of which God is speaking in Psalm 95. Despite all the things that God has done for them, his act of deliverance and provision, the Israelites still wondered, still questioned whether God was with them or not. Just as it says in verse 9, they tested and tried God even though they had seen what God has done for them. So God was angry with this generation a generation whose hearts wavered back and forth. In verse, um, 
In verse 10 it says, there are people whose hearts go astray. Literally means to go back and forth. Their hearts went back and forth. They, they, were, they were with God. They praised God when God did something for them, when, when they saw God at work. And they doubted God and they tested God when they didn't see God at work. Back and forth, back and forth in the desert. Knowing that God is with them, not knowing God is with them, questioning God's, God's presence, testing God. A generation whose hearts wavered back and forth and because of that did not know God's ways. Hardened hearts point to an attitude of having made up one's mind about what they're going to do and unwilling to show any flexibility in their thinking when confronted by God. Testing seeks to find out what a person is really like and how far they can be pushed. The point of verse 9 is that even though that the Israelites have been given ample evidence of what God was like through what He has done for them, they still tested him. They still doubted his presence. Yet even with all the evidence, why were they still unwilling to trust that God would provide for them? Or even worse, why did they still doubt whether God was with them? And perhaps, as we hear this story, some of us could identify with them. Because sometimes in our lives, even though we had seen what God has done, we still question whether God is with us or not, even though we have seen Him at work so many times over in our lives. If we gather to worship God, to bow down before Him and to hear His voice, only to walk away with the thought of, is God really with us? then we may be committing the same kind of mistakes as the Israelites did in Meribah and Massa. And God is saying, don't be like them. As we respond to God's invitation to worship, we gather to praise and exalt God for who He is. We ascribe worth to Him, saying He is worthy to be praised. And this reminder ought to lead us to a greater faith of God's presence with us. Hearing God's voice reminds us that He is with His people, that He is with us. Just as He has done before for His people, today He will do the same because God is the, the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same God. Let us not doubt, but be led into deeper trust in Him as we gather to worship and hear His voice. Throughout the week, we may face situations that tempts us to test God, wondering whether He really loves us or cares for us, whether He's really with us, whether He's really in our lives. But in gathering to hear God's voice, we're reminded and we're assured again and again every single Sunday that God is with us and that God is our shepherd, that He is our maker, that He deeply cares for us and that He deeply loves us. In worship, we're reminded of that. And through that, we're led into deeper faith and trust. There's nothing that doesn't belong to Him because He created everything. He's sovereign over all, everything in our lives, He is sovereign over them. I've begun this sermon with the idea that why will determine the how. Why do we gather and worship? We gather because we're invited by God to praise and exalt God as His people 
And through that, hear his voice and be reminded of who he is in the universe, on earth, in our lives. What would happen if we reminded ourselves of these reasons when we come to worship every Sunday? How different would our postures be in worship when we know clearly that these are the reasons why we gather to worship? I believe it would transform the way we engage in worship, which in turn will transform us, our hearts, our lives, transform the way we walk out of this place. I mean, think about it. To gather every Sunday to hear God's voice, to come with expectation to hear God's voice, that's powerful. To gather to remember who God is and to give Him glory and through it, by gathering in community, reminding one another of who God is in our lives, that is awesome. To gather because God has initiated and invited every single one of us to be in this very spot to worship Him, that changes our posture. Because why wouldn't God speak to us if he has initiated this meeting? If you haven't already, I would encourage you to write down the three reasons why we gather in worship. We gather because we're invited by God. We gather to exalt and praise God for who he is. And we gather to hear God's voice. And maybe write it down and put it on your car so that every time, every Sunday you drive to church, you're reminded of why you gather at church to worship. Maybe put, a, put an alarm on your phone to remind you why you gather, why you get out of bed to gather on a Sunday morning to worship. Because it will definitely determine the how of your worship every Sunday. Try for a month. Try for the entire summer. Try for the entire year. And see the transformation that will take place in your Sunday worship. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that you initiate meeting with us, that we're invited into your presence to worship you and to meet with you in this place. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're a great and awesome God who has created all things. And not only that, you have a relationship with us. You love us and you care for us deeply as our shepherd. So God, may we go and may we, as we continue to worship, may we go knowing, fully assured that you are with us no matter where we may be in our lives. May we go from this place having heard from you, being assured of your presence and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.